Father, we thank you and praise you for Jesus, our perfect Savior and sacrifice who fulfilled the law. We pray that he would be with us today as we continue in his word and worshiping him. In Jesus' name, amen. As we continue to worship, just a reminder, if you're new to Midland Free, my name is Jeremy. We're glad you're here today. There's a little picnic afterwards. Feel free to stay, even if you didn't bring anything. You'll notice in the sermon and uh, in the activities, including baptism today, that there is definitely a washing or cleansing or a water theme. And really the question that I want to begin with is, how do we get clean? How? Do we get clean? Now, to start that conversation, I have something in my pocket, which there's a very good chance that many of you have the same thing in your pocket or purse today. Anyone have any guesses what that might be? Cell phone, yes, but I'm going to go a different direction. I'll take that out. Next, wallet, keys, no. I left my wallet somewhere else. I only have one key because that's all I need in this church this morning. So not a wallet or keys, not a cell phone, but something else. Yes, hand sanitizer, and I also have mints too, so I'm good. All sane, all around. But this is what I have in my pocket today. Who has some of this with them? Hold it up. Just just own it. Say, I'm a germaphobe. I'm, I'm afraid. Everything's going to be okay. I have san- hand sanitizer. Notice who these people are. If you need some, look over and borrow it. All right, hand sanitizer. If you brought this to church this morning, Tim Hawkins, a comedian, has something to say to you. hand sanitizer in church. Anybody notice that? I don't know. At my church, they have these two hand sanitizer stations right by the front door greeters. That is not a good message. People come in on Sunday. How you doing? Nice to see y'all. It's good to see you. Thanks for coming. You're going to love it here. We just love people. You can just be yourself. You can just be yourself. We don't care. We don't judge you. We just love. You sit back, and whatever questions you have, you let us know. We'll let you know whatever we can do for you, okay? Y'all newly married? You got four kids? Four kids. That is amazing. God, love. we love kids here. Kids are like a little gift from God is what they are. They are just wonderful little creatures that God gives us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where y'all from? Arkansas? Okay. Grab a handful, you circus freaks. Go ahead. There you go. Amen. Hand sanitizer. Oh, boy. Now to recover from that. Hand sanitizer, what is it? Well, on my bottle, what it is, is it says it is on the back, ooh, something alcohol, 70% antibacterial, and it claims to kill 99% of all germs, 99% of all germs. So in other words, in order for sanitation to happen, death also has to occur. We want to kill the bad and keep the good. And if that is the case, then we are considered clean. Today, I'd like to continue our conversation on the subject of cleansing and ask you that question How do we get clean? Of course, I'm not talking physically like on the outside because I think most of us can answer that question this morning. But instead, what I'm talking is about 
is that internal cleansing, that time when we feel just yucky or ick, where I feel bad on the inside and I try to forget about it and I try to sleep on it and I try to sort of push it off to the side, but the reality is that feeling's still there and I just don't know quite how to get rid of it. How do I feel good? How do I get clean? Mark chapter 7 is going to answer that question for us today in a very interesting and unusual way in which a group of people called Pharisees, they were teachers of the Jewish law, come to Jesus with an accusatory question. It's not a real question. It's a trapdoor sort of question. And their hope is to trip him up, but in his answer, he actually answers a lot more than just their question. So today I'd invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn with me to Mark chapter 7. If you don't, no worries. We have it up on the screen and we have ones in back you can borrow. And if you don't have one of your own, take one of ours home. We will be so delighted to give you that as a gift. Mark chapter 7 says this. Now when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem... They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now, here's a little parenthesis for the Greek readers and for us. For non-Jews, this is what it means. For the Pharisees and all the Jews who do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, that's all kinds of ceremonial stuff, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, not only do they wash their hands, but they also have many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels, and even the dining couches that they recline on while eating. And so here's here's the contrast in verse 5. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not wash according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Hmm? Jesus said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain did they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. He had said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Here's one example of that. There were many ways in which they actually broke the law and trying to keep the law. But this is one specific example. He says, here's the law. Here's what Moses said. Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles his father or mother must surely die. There's the law. But you say, now here's all your technicalities and your exceptions and your clauses and yada, yada. If a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is a gift, is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. Okay, quick aside. Korban means gift. Today, in the case of retirement and transition into eventually um, needing care and eventually being on best uh, doorway, what they did in the Old Testament is they said, okay, we're going to have our compound. It's going to be a family farm. Everyone's going to live together. Grandpa owns it, eventually goes to dad, eventually goes to son. 
And yet, Grandpa doesn't get kicked off the farm when he's no longer farming. He gets to stay there and live out the rest of his days, and everyone takes care of Grandpa. So, too, in this case, what is expected is not necessarily a retirement account or long-term care insurance or anything like that, but the family is going to provide that foundation. And so, what would happen in this instance is that people would say, oh, I've already promised that financial support that you were expecting of me to God, so I'm sorry, I can't give it to you. And then they would live off of it themselves. That's how they would rob their elders. They would look for a technical religious exception to avoid fulfilling the law. And Jesus is like, that's pathetic. You guys are ridiculous. You know that's not the point. What is it, the spirit or the letter? Go after the spirit. And he called the people again to him, and he said, verse 14, Hear me, all of you, and understand, look, there is nothing outside a person, because they were concerned about washing, that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. They learned that they could do this now. And he says to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus, basically, he nullified all the food laws or all those traditions, declaring all foods clean and said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what is Jesus getting after today? Is it simply he wants to criticize his critics, or is there something more? Of course, it's recorded in Scripture because there is way, way more. The question that he is answering is not how to wash your hands free of dirt, but instead how to cleanse your heart from sin. And there are two very different approaches represented here, and one is characterized by the Pharisees, but of course, it's not just the Pharisees. It's all of us today. It's any religious system. It's any work of man that is represented here. And so the two approaches are basically the human way and the divine way. And what I'd like to do today is show you what is so wrong with the human way and what is so right with Jesus's way. So the two approaches will be will be the first one I'm going to deconstruct and the second one I'm going to build. And I'm going to do it like this. I'm going to give you the first one, then I'm going to give you a problem, solution, and an application. So let's start with the first one, the Pharisees' approach. Theirs is a very functional, pragmatic, practical, or moral approach to spiritual cleansing. In other words, basically their way of doing things is they've systematized it, or they've codified it, or they've set it, in stone and said, if you want to be righteous, if you want to feel good, if you want to lay your head on your pillow at night and be like, yeah, I had a good day. That was the right way to do things. I feel good about myself and wake up the next morning. This is how you do it. 
follow these 613 commands plus twice as many traditions that we've heaped upon them. Here's a phone book. Make sure you go through this phone book every single day and check off everything on this list. Well, who can do that? Nobody, of course. And yet, by this time in their history, this system was well-developed. Here's a slide of what happened. If you want, you don't have to remember this. I just want to show you how significant it was. This isn't something they thought of overnight. This is deeply ingrained in their, their culture. It's part of their ethnicity, who they were, and how their uh, development occurred until this point. So around 1446, that's the time of the Exodus. So almost 1,500 years before this conversation took place, Moses was given the law by God and gave it to the people. That's what we call the Torah. As time went on, as you saw in the video earlier, not only did they get the, ta- the, the Torah, the law, but they also got a bunch of other writings to go along with that. And then came the prophets as well. And so all of these Old Testament, God-given, inspired scriptures are piled on upon themselves. And that adds up from the Torah to be something that the Jewish people call the Tanakh. That is the Torah, the Nevin, and the Ketuvim. That is the law, the prophets, and the writings. From there, eventually, after all the deportations and Alexander the Great's conquest of the entire world, what happens is, The Hebrew people are no longer speaking Hebrew as their primary language. Instead, it's Greek. And so all of those writings are translated into a Greek translation so that they can have their scriptures in an understandable way. Just before that, or around that time, Jesus is showing up on the scene. So you have the Torah and the Tanakh, and you have all kinds of traditions piled up around that. And then subsequent or following that, after Jesus, those traditions are then written down in a code, the first one being the Mishnah, and that becomes the basis for what the Jews use today, something called the Talmud. So here's the development of the Old Testament Jewish tradition. This is how it moves and falls into place. And Jesus is looking at this, and he's like, okay, I get it. I understand what you're trying to do. Here's what they're trying to do. Here's a picture of a cliff. If you consider, here's a picture of a cliff. If you consider breaking God's law, going over the edge of the cliff, falling to your death, whatever you want to say, morally, spiritually messing up, then what we need to do is not just like have that barrier, but let's set a few more barriers in place. Let's put up some guardrails, something that would look like this. And so their traditions, in addition to the law, become the guardrails. And they're like, we don't want to break the law. We'll go over the edge of the cliff. And so let's set up several barriers to doing that. And logically, that makes sense. But eventually, what happens is you throw out the baby with the bathwater. When when the gospel becomes peripheral, the peripherals become gospel. When the good news becomes you know, some set on the side, the other things that are primary became, become the main thing. And that's what happens to their traditions. Instead, the guardrails become the thing itself. And they're well-established, you know, 1,500 years of doing this. They are, they provide structure and order and rhythm and identity. And the Jewish people say, this is who we are. The problem, however, with that is this. No human system, no matter how well-developed, no matter how historically accurate, no matter how well-meaning, is ever enough to do true internal cleansing. 
Why is that? Let me give you three reasons why that's the case. And the first is the Pharisees. You can put away that slide if you'd like. Thank you. The Pharisees have the wrong starting place. They have the wrong starting place. Their assumption, which is realistically, this is the assumption that you hear many talk show hosts and many um, personal advice column people and stuff like that giving today. The assumption is that we're all good. That all human beings are good. Everybody's okay. Nobody's sinned and nobody's messed up. But the way in which you sin or mess up, the way in which you are you become bad as you get dirty from the outside. Their assumption is, is that they are clean, that they're all good. But in reality, Jesus directly contradicts this and says, no, no guys, that's the wrong starting place. In fact, Jesus says that the way in which you get dirty is not from the outside, but from the inside. They assume that their hearts are uncontaminated, but Jesus assumes that every heart everywhere other than his, is sinful. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and none are righteous, not even one. And so in other words, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to deconstruct their logic and say, look, look, you guys think it comes from the outside, but it's really not the outside. Here's what happens from the outside. Here's a slide. Here's a picture of that. If you, speaking of food or dietary or kosher laws, here's a picture of what happens? This is the logic in this passage. Right? You get it? I asked our graphic design artist not to be too graphic. <laughs> but I think you get the point here. They're consume, concerned about what foods they eat, you know, because that's going to defile them. And Jesus is like, look, really, what goes into you goes out of you. And unless it's really bad, that's not going to mess you up. So in other words, the reality is this. Here's the next slide. This is how you're actually defiled. What goes into your heart goes into your thoughts, and then that leads to your actions. If there are good things in your heart, then there will be good things in your mind, and there will be good things in your actions. But if there's bad things in your heart, there will be bad things in your mind, and there will be bad things in your actions. In other words, the starting place is not on the outside, but on the inside. The the Pharisees think that when it comes to cleansing themselves, that they can do it, that they're enough, that they can handle it. But really what Jesus is doing is saying the little engine that could was actually wrong. When it comes to a work ethic, that's helpful. But when it comes to spirituality, it's not because I think I can is actually completely Mistaken. No human system is ever enough. Let me take you back to hand sanitizer for a minute. This hand sanitizer says that it kills 99% of the germs. Now that may potentially work for your hands, but it doesn't work for your heart. And the reason is this, is because let's say, for example, okay, all of our hearts taking the assumption that all of our hearts are contaminated. Therefore, we to be clean, we have to kill the bat. But what happens then if we kill the bat? There's nothing left. We're done. And so for t- true spiritual sanitation to take place, 
not only does everything that is bad have to die, but something good has to be raised to new life again. And that's a whole nother reason why the law is not enough. You know, Paul points out all the law can do is kill. And that's not enough. You need something more. Not only do you need death, but you also need resurrection. If you were to watch one of these skin cream commercials that says, hey, look, we can put this cream on your hand and it'll take 20 years off of your life. Does it really do that? Of course not. But if it could, that's what we're talking about. Real cleansing requires all of the bad to be put to death and all that is good to be raised to new life. But human beings simply can't do that. And so what do we need? We need something, i.e. we need someone who is uncontaminated, who is perfect, who has the power over life and death, who is able to kill and not only kill, but also to give life. In other words, what we need is Jesus. There is only one who can do this. And this is what it means to believe in Jesus. Look, if you're around church, you've probably said this before, you know, just believe in Jesus. And if you're new to church, you're probably like, what does that mean? And actually, that's a good question because some of us say that without even knowing it. And we just throw it out there and we think it's the answer to everything. And it is, but what does it mean? What it means is this, that Jesus can do what we cannot. And what it means in cleansing then is this, is that Jesus puts to death all of the bad and raises up all of the good. And that is not something that I can do. So here's the point then. The point is this, is look, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Don't just... Don't just leave it at that. If you're sharing your faith with someone, you need to push it a little bit further because a lot of people believe in Jesus and they say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. He was a great teacher. Other people say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. He was a historical figure. I believe in Jesus and Muhammad and Gandhi and Buddha and Confucius and Aristotle and Socrates. There's a lot of great people that have gone before us and taught us many good things. And Jesus was just one of them. No, no, no. What we're saying is this, is Jesus is unique in every way. He is the only one of all of them that has ever died and been raised to life. There is no other Jesus. He is the only begotten, unique son of the living God. He's the only solution, the only answer. And what it means to believe in him is to believe that he can do what we cannot. So how then do we get clean? Well, No human system is ever enough. That's a problem. The solution is that Jesus can do what we cannot. And the application then is to believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Now, before 98% of you check out and say, yeah, I got that covered. Hang on. I'm coming back to you in just a minute. But for those of you who have never, ever, 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 ever believed in Jesus in your entire life before, Listen to me now and please clearly hear this. Here's what it means. Basically, it's this. There are three things that Christians refer to or the Bible refers to that are necessary to believe in Jesus. One is sin. You have to believe that you can't do it, that you're not good enough, that you've messed up, that you're unable to save yourself, that human beings are simply not good enough. That's sin. Number two, there's substitution. And you guys know what this is. You see this perhaps in a football game or a baseball game or a basketball game. When one player is injured and the other, 
The injured party goes out and the well party comes in and takes their place. That's what Jesus did. Because we are damaged by sin, we cannot perfectly complete this game called life. And so Jesus comes in and takes our place and dies on our behalf and takes our punishment for us. That's substitution. Jesus died on the cross for us. He's our substitute. He did what we cannot. And then there's a third part. That's If all you have is that, you're still not there because you said, yep, I acknowledge that. That's good. Yep, there's a bunch of that out there. But the third part, most important part, is faith. And you say, yeah, I believe that and I own that for myself. I accept it. I, I, I don't know how to use human words to say this, but it's a personal relationship, a realization that this is not just some truth that's out there, but this thing is for me. Like, I have to own it myself. And if you do that, if you acknowledge that you are broken, and if you acknowledge that Jesus can fix it, and you accept him as your Savior, then the Bible says you're clean, that you've been washed, that he's taken all of your sin on himself and killed it completely and put it to death. Jesus' death on the cross was not 99.9%. Like he cleanses most sins, but there's some really bad ones that he can't get. No, he is the perfect cleansing process that sanitizes everything for anyone who would accept him. He kills it dead. And he's the only one who can do that. And that's why you have to have him. Because you can't. You are not strong enough to kill your own sins. And if you're a Christian, you know this because you've tried. You've tried to live the Christian life, and there's that habit, and there's that attitude, and there's that experience, and you can't put it to death. just keeps coming back and back over and over again. You say, God, why don't I have the power? And he says, because you don't. The only thing that can kill it is Jesus living in you, and therefore, if you're a believer, guess what? You need the good news too. You can't sit back there and cross that box and say, I got that. You need it every single day, and it's the only way to get through from morning until night. And you will not feel good any other way, because you'll still be dirty. There is only one cleansing that will work. And so if you've never accepted it, you've got to. You have no choice. If you choose not to, you are in big trouble, way bigger than yourself. If you accept it, you're clean. Once you're clean, you know what happens. You get dirty again, not from something somebody else did, but from something you did. Because it comes from the inside. And you say, man, I'm dirty. What do I do? Same thing you did not too long ago. Believe in Jesus. Again. And again and again and again and again. You just keep believing in him. And even though... In that moment when he died on the cross, that was a once and for all sacrifice. Even though that happened and it's completed and it's finished. It is continually reapplied. So that one time act that he did can be used by you over and over again. And this is what we call confession. Confession is not, wow, I said the right words and did it in the right way, and therefore God will forgive me. Confession is going back to the exact same thing, which is Jesus dying on the cross. And when you take that crucifixion and you take that resurrection and you say, yep, that's what I'm going back to. I believe that and I apply that to me again. It's the same thing. 
The gospel is for every single day. The good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. What he did that we cannot is the only way. The cleansing and salvation and resurrection. This is where the entire book of Mark is headed. If you watch all the miracles, if you watch all the teachings, if you watch all the prophecies, everything is moving in a single direction, and that's Jesus' mission, his march to the cross. That's it. What it's all about, the application for believers and unbelievers is the same. It's to believe in Jesus. If you want to get clean for the first time, or if you just need a little freshened up, the process is exactly the same. So what do I have in my pocket? Yeah, I have a phone. Google's not enough. I have mints, and they may help for a moment, but they're gone pretty quick. I have hand sanitizer, and that gets 99% of what's on my hands. But what can really get at what's in my heart? Everything in me that's bad needs to die. And something good has to be raised to life. No human system can do that. Only Jesus does what we cannot. The application for today is very simple. Believe in Jesus and be clean. Father, we praise you and thank you for providing the cleansing that we needed. Lord, we probably tried whether we're believers or unbelievers, we probably tried a lot. We felt guilty. We've tried to do things different. We've said we're sorry. We've ignored it. But at the end of the day, Lord, it's still not enough. Only Jesus can save us from our sins. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. We trust you. And we ask that his mighty, mysterious, and miraculous work would be at work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.